It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And tonight we're here to talk about the first episode of HBO's Westworld. I don't actually know the name of the episode. I bet it's Pilot. The original. The original. Very interesting. I bet when it's all said and done, that's going to mean something. Oh, I think it does. Do you want to know what I think it is? Yes. Dolores is the original. She's the oh. first, first host. Good insight. I Thanks, bet you're, Paul. You're already Mr. Supportive. I bet you're dead on. I know I am. All right. So we're going to try something different for this podcast. So we're not going to hit you blow by blow with every scene. This time we're going to do a little bit more of an overview. So if you are an avid listener, this is not going to be the same exact way we always do it. But we hope that we'll get a little bit more information and especially be able to talk a lot about outside influences like the movie and be able to make some guesses and whatnot. What did you think? You know, your your first impression of the first episode. Okay, so Paul brought this show up to me quite a long time ago, whenever he first heard it was going to be made into a TV show. When he said there was going to be robots in the Wild West, I have to be honest and say, I was like, okay, <laughs> all right, I'll be cool. I legit thought that this was going to be like a Western made with robots and I was just going to have to kind of like deal with that fact. You were thinking more like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, like, yes. like non-sequitur mashups. Perfection. That is the exact type of example I'm talking about. Yes. What is the other one? Like Lincoln as a vampire type thing? Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Perfect. This. So I thought I was going to be watching Robots, the Western. <laughs> and so I had no idea, zero idea of what I was going to be seeing. What did you think? Now, I know you had a lot more information going in. I had seen the movie. and Which was 1973? 73. It stars James Brolin and Yul Brenner. It's the same concept. They just basically lifted the concept of this old Wild West theme park populated yes. by robots that you could go and live out a fantasy. They, that was the concept that they took. So here's like a couple of things that kind of mashed up in my brain when I started understanding some of the players. So Michael Crichton was the originator of that film. He both wrote it and directed it. Okay. Okay. And so that made a lot more sense to me when I think about Jurassic Park and I could start to kind of put it into that theme park idea. It's like, what if you like had the idea sort of a, a theme thematic park? idea that yeah. runs through his work? Yes. And you have a theme park and you have these animatronics yeah. in theory, right? So, I mean, I know they were supposed to be real dinosaurs, whatnot, but in Jurassic Park, but like this idea of like, and then you could come in and be like immersed in this whole world. Um, so I started to understand a little bit. Then I also tried to think about the 1970s and like what were very popular shows. There was a lot of shows like The Love Boat, or Fantasy Island. Fantasy Island that were really this idea of like getting out of your everyday, going on some sort of vacation getaway type thing in which these really unusual characters were going to cross your path and really unusual circumstances. And you could become the hero of the story 
when within like the love boat, you have these hosts, if you will, you have like Julie, your cruise director, who's going to guide you through this entire thing. And you have these like staple characters where they're every single time. But then you have these guests that come on to kind of have their own adventure each time. Right. So it made sense to me, like why this concept was somewhat popular. I'm sure there's many books and many other stories that were happening around the same time that probably had a similar theme. Well, in the, sh- in the movie, there were other worlds. Westworld wasn't the only world. There were I heard that. So uh, there's medieval or, or I don't remember them all, but I, th- Roman there were, yes. The movie ends in a chase scene where the robot gone wild chases one of the vacationers, so the newcomers, if you will, across lands. And oh. so he, he's doing everything, everything he can to get away from the gunslinger gone crazy. He winds up in like a medieval looking castle or something to end Westworld. Do you think, I guess on that train of thought, do you think we'll see other worlds besides Westworld? From what I understand... They've already mapped out five years of episodes here. I would bet that we do see other stuff. I mean, we we all we, the conversation between Cullen and Sizemore mm. indicated that there were larger things afoot for what they called management. Which, P.S. As someone that watched HBO's Carnival all the way through, management was also a, an off-screen presence. You never mm-hmm. watched Carnival, but... No, but I know it's always was, the type of thing that you write, like, if the bathroom isn't working at your house and you're having, like, a bunko party, then you write, like, don't use the bathroom, dash, management. Same kind of deal. It would be the guy running Carnival would would say, no, we're going to this town, not that town. And someone would complain that, you know, that's a much harder route or whatever. And he says, management says so. And uh, eventually, they did show management, and it was super creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I suspect management in this case is also going to have a bad creep factor as well. All right. So this show has interesting roots. The showrunners, which I didn't know right away, but Caroline pointed out, are husband and wife. I think that that's something that always draws us to shows when we feel like it's like a passion project. I feel that way about Gilmore Girls with Amy and Dan Palladino. And I feel really like you can kind of tell when there's when there's a couple working on it because they think it has a nice balance usually. Although Lisa Joy Nolan's background is not quite as lengthy as Jonathan Nolan's, it's not any less accomplished. It's, what types of things have they done in the past? Let's start with Lisa. Lisa has worked on Burn Notice, which is a long-running show. She also worked on Pushing Daisies, which was a short-running show. And now she's working on Westworld. Jonathan, on the other hand, has been working with his brother, Christopher Nolan, for the last several years on pretty major movies like Interstellar, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, and The Prestige. And he wrote Memento, which was kind of his brother's big breakout movie with Guy Pierce and Carrie Ann Moss. So he wrote those. He didn't act as a producer or anything on those. He actually was given the writing credit. I feel like being that it's on HBO, they have the same grandiose feel of a gigantic motion picture project. You know, I feel like there's so much going on visually and with the music and well, nothing seems cheap about it. No, it seems like grand, like I said. So it doesn't surprise me to hear that he worked a lot on movies. And so he's coming over maybe with that background 
I'd love to talk about the visuals um, just right from the opening credits. Okay. I thought there were so many amazing layered moments in just that minute or two of the opening credits. There was this 3D printer type robot arms that were working. That's what I understood it to be also. 3D, large scale 3D printers capable of not just laying down lines of vinyl, whatever it is that they lay, lay down now, but they were sewing basically muscles and bones and things. Yeah, some sort of, so definitely like an intelligent tissue, would you say? So yeah. Not like muscles and bones, something that could be energized. And so I would assume it, it didn't, like it had wires or or whatever, like in there, in, in like, so in the cells, it would have like some sort of like microchip Conductivity. Type of, yes, exactly. It, and it showed that one of the things it was building was a piano. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when the piano music kicks on. And there were, the, the piano music and the, player piano imagery was resonated. It kept coming back throughout the entire show, but it started in the in the intro. So I loved how it started at just making the strings, just the individual strings, like as if to say like these are the individual notes that we're going to hit here. And, and then as it went through and it showed you the horse being built. Don't you think it would be easier to build a horse sitting still than, than a, running? Than a running horse. <laughs> you would think a standing horse would be a little <laughs> bit more simple to start. But I guess maybe that's an indicator that we were already on the go, right? Because they were showing a very dynamic scene. Because ultimately, there's a person on the horse with like hair flying and gun in hand and all this kind of stuff. So you're right. It wasn't a boring scene they were making. It wasn't a basic scene they were no. making. It was a very dynamic, lots of action going on, even though it was in theory, like made of plastic or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it was amazing. I really loved the player piano and this whole concept immediately when we saw the music kind of coming up and how it's on a loop. Yeah. And I, again, I didn't know anything about the show. And so I said to Paul, like, well, you know, that's interesting to me about how it's it's a player piano and how it's on a loop and how the way that a player piano works is that somebody basically, you know, punches or makes the, what do you call those, like the dots or whatever, what have you, on the long sheet. On the long sheet so that it plucks those strings. It knows which ones to do. Not unlike the type of computer. Like punch cards. Exactly. So basically like the the uh, ancestor of modern, of what would be in this show, modern computing technology robots going back to the very beginning of computing, which punch cards was like the first way to input data. It was the easiest way to input data first. So then the idea of if the visual of a punch card and being on this piano loop, it was amazing to me because instantly I got so much information. I understood that we were going back to a time when the idea of a player piano would have still been amazing. Something that played itself would still be such a remarkable invention. But at the same time, I'm watching all these other things happening all around it. I'm watching the hands, the human hands, sort of, like it was like the skeleton hands playing the piano. And then at one point, the hands just come off the piano and the and the piano is still playing. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like this idea of like humans invented it and then the human is playing it. And then the human like is taken out of the situation and yet it's still going. Well, I like how it paired the idea of this certifiably old west robot, which was the player piano. Right. You wouldn't identify player pianos with basically any other point in history than the old west. Isn't that interesting? Because like I think having a player piano in the house right now would be kind of cool. 
<laughs> and not because it's old western or anything but kind of the same kind of thing of being able to like put on a song and have the sound of a real piano you know plucking the strings is a very a real sound like the best sound system isn't going to get well, you well christmas isn't far oh, off maybe I <laughs> anyhow i really enjoyed the idea of the most modern robots possible that we can think of emulating human behaviors paired up with the old west's first robot the player piano i don't know Very i don't know cool. why it sings to me exactly but it was really cool to see them paired up so intentionally like and i that. think too there was something about the idea that music and visual effects were both being depicted as well so it's like yes you have these robots right but the robot is making a visual thing right with this amazing 3d art it's it's creating and then the, the other robot is creating music mm. and i felt like when you were watching the show that it was a really cool mashup of music and visual and yes robots you know <laughs> but it was and humanity and like trying to mingle all those things together because i thought you could tell what lengths they had gone to when it came to the music it almost had a disney-esque feel to it like it was so grand it like filled your chest some points it was so emotional at some points the visual effects was almost like watching a disney type production where it was right. so grand the and carousel so of progress type uh how many things how many times did we, we notice a disney type thing i felt like when uh when the train was coming that's like the the runaway mine train it looks so similar to me like the just the way it looks the, the sidescapes of like you're like in the mesa whatever i can't remember the name of it there was also hall of presidents you know kind of feel when you know mm -hmm. dr ford is talking to the sort of bartender type drinking buddy yeah the the oldest uh yeah. robot it still had very animatronic jerky oh my god it looks so much like the hall of presidents though and he, and he had a very identifiable patter loop he didn't get off script with what, Not at all. with what he was saying. When the guests come out, they only see a certain script. Everything else is handled underground, literally. That's just like Disney to me. Like everything's handled underground. You don't see anything out of place. Everything gets reset in the middle of the night. Come back and it's the same town. You know, when we go to Main Street USA in Disney... It looks exactly the same as when we were five years old. Everybody's going to talk in their really scripted ways, even though, let's hope, knock on wood, they're humans, we assume. We assume. <laughs> they don't get off script. You know, they're cast members. Right. You know, they're just all these kind of things to it that really I got all the Disney everything. Last image of the partially finished body coming through that milky liquid reminded me of the introduction to a movie from 20 years ago named Ghost in the Shell. And I just showed it to Caroline to say, what do you think? And I think she thought it was pretty reminiscent. Oh, absolutely. It looked just so similar. And I'm going to come from a totally different point of view. I thought that the way that the body had its arms and legs outstretched, it looked exactly like how when they draw anatomy, like in the anatomy book. Like, when they draw the, right, like the, the classic Leonardo da Vinci sort mm -hmm, of. That it looked exactly like that. And... Whenever you see a white liquid like that, you pretty much only think of one thing, right? Milk. And yeah. it was very mother's milk. And very... milk was a big... It was, uh, wasn't big it? Item. The milk budget for this episode was gigantic. You know what, though? You know, just having said that, I wonder if they weren't drinking milk. What if they were drinking whatever that milky resin thing was? What if those robots were like, kind of fixing themselves by like drinking stuff like oh that. that is crazy i didn't make that connection because he keeps saying it right why would there need to be so much milk in this episode 
And also when they're drinking it and it's like kind of coming out the holes, like their wounds and stuff, then later on they're not, not wounded. Mm. I don't know. Oh, I'm just throwing it out there. I, I have no idea what that milky business is. I mean, I'm going to go with the medical and that side. And definitely you're 100% right that it looked exactly like Ghost in a Shell. I mean, it can't not have been borrowed. <laughs> it's really, really yeah, similar. Know. Very similar. The other thing that I thought that was also in the intro that I really thought was really cool was all the different parts that I felt like were manipulated. So we have the idea of like an animal, right? Like the horse. But then you also have two people who looked like having sex maybe, right? You have like two, like one on top, one on the bottom. But well, the machine... just sitting on his lap facing him. Yep. You know, reading bedtime stories, that's what we always say, right? Um, the way that the machine was creating the brain and creating the spine, it's a, what a lot of people kind of feel like the media and the world kind of manipulates people like Valentine's Day and today's the day you're supposed to stay, you love the other person and they feel manipulated by on the outside about what their okay. love life or what the romance or whatever should look like. Then I felt like when they showed making the gun, same thing. Like how many times do you hear sort of like this idea of we feel manipulated into, um, you know, violence or, or into whatever, depending on what stories are shown on the news and how there's sort of these outside pressures into acting on one thing or another. So I thought it was really neat. Then the last part that really struck me was when they're making the face and they kind of pull back on the side and it's still like kind of skeletal. Yeah. It made me feel like this two-faced kind of thing. Like this, there's the facade you see and there's the like what's underneath. And I think that's like exactly Westworld. There's the facade you see and then there's like the what's underneath. Well, there's a visceral reaction that you can't help but have when you see a partially finished person. It's funny. There's another anime that I've seen called Attack on Titan and... That also features these grotesque giant things. And sometimes when they see them, they're partially finished, you know, like muscle and bone and sinew and yeah, stuff. Super and gross. you and as if seeing these horrifying giants wasn't enough, now they're partially done. So you just get this gut wrenching, like, I hate that <laughs> sort of feeling whenever you you, you see it. Which you know? which kind of implies that as humans, we are only comfortable seeing and interacting with things that look like us. Look yeah. like our outer parts, you know, like everything needs to look like skin and hair and like what we expect. Or you get that that, that belly twisting. Feeling. Yeah. yeah, you do. Because naturally, when you see bone or muscle or whatever, what does that mean? Like as humans, there's a problem. Things have <laughs> gone drastically wrong. Yeah. And this is a terrible scene. Wow. I mean, those opening credits, huge. I'll enjoy watching that every single week. I feel like we watched it several times over. And if you haven't paid attention to it, please go back and take a look. HBO, so man. So many cool things. I mean, Going back to like Game of Thrones, I watch those credits every freaking time. Yeah. You know, it's the same composer for both of those. Mm. Man, can that guy write a theme? <laughs> it, it <laughs> and, feels, and it's like just, I said, it just fills your chest. Like, and if they wow. follow, it'd be interesting to see if they do this though. But as Game of Thrones progresses and things change, because you're looking at a map, right? Yeah. They update the map every season to, to go with what's happened in that season. So for a long time, Winterfell, what didn't belong to the Starks anymore until the final episode of spoiler, the season. Spoiler, spoiler. And bang, they, they roll out the, uh, the wolves. Uh, and so it was like, yeah! And when you see that final... Um, 
intro. So it'd be interesting to see if, if this intro right. evolves. Well, and so say next season they're in medieval times or something. So then they're not forming horses and guns. They're forming knights and swords and stuff like that. It will be interesting to see. And I think the concept of being able to go to different worlds, it allows them to have like a very short and tight story. I'm sure, is it just 10 episodes? 10 episodes. So then you can be tight, right? Like this can happen in this small town with these with this group of hosts and whatever. And next season, you could have all new cast. Wow. You get a total blank slate every time. You get to build off of the mythology that you've already created, but you also don't have the same baggage that you might have for storylines and things that became uninteresting or didn't contribute to the, the overall arc that you wanted to to have the story mean so yeah that's pretty which is so fun right yeah. as the as the showrunner people how fun to be able to be like okay we're no longer going to shoot in utah where they were shooting for this but now we're going to go to alaska or now we're going to go to scotland or wherever we're going to go next pretty cool pretty pretty neat premise for them you want to talk about characters i do i feel like there are so many interesting people to go through Starting with Miss Dolores. Miss Dolores, she is the poster image for Westworld. She is the one who has the fly crawling on her eye. So the fly on her eye is definitely the little clue in to the audience, right? That like this was not a human. Right. That is I got to be a test to see if you are alive or not. So then they used it several times throughout the show. We saw the fly crawl around on the sheriff, taking them up through the hills when they were going to yes, their family. Yes, right, the sheriff. So I started climbing around on him and got all weird. And then, of course, at the end of the episode when Dolores feels the fly on her neck and like slaps it, yeah. which is like, ooh, clearly. Well, that issue with the update and the reverie and the finding old memories and and so what is new reverie behaviors. do you well, know i knew it from classes that i had taken for writing and i kind of associated it with inner dialogue going over memories and what you think internally all by yourself you're not talking about it with anybody else i did look it up because i thought maybe there'd be more to it the definition is a state of being pleasantly lost in one's thought a daydream the synonyms are a daydream, a trance, musing, but it also means an instrumental piece suggesting a dreamy or musing state, which kind of makes me think of the traveling music and stuff that we were that we were. Yeah, talking there's about. a lot of music in the episode. Being the player piano, it's sort of that like fantastical type music that you would never hear off in any other place. Maybe what ties in with that is the anachronistic music, how they had player piano versions of Black Hole Sun and Paint It Black. That Well, not Painted Black. Painted Black was orchestral, but still, they don't belong in the Old West. And they don't really belong in the future so far that we would have robots because they would be hundreds would of be years like, old songs. Right. You know? yeah. So maybe that ties into your reverie definition. Then there was one more that also got my attention. This was another meaning for reverie. It's a fanciful or impractical idea or theory. Like robots in the Old West? Maybe, maybe that. Maybe also how we've been talking about this idea that there was some sort of code that had been introduced in this right at this point that we are in the story. And I wonder if that that is representing, they're calling it reveries, right? But I wonder if it is representing somebody's big idea that maybe is very impractical or maybe it's fantastical or however you want to say. But so reveries 
wasn't meaning the daydream of the robot, but what if it's the fantastical slash impractical idea or theory of the mastermind behind some of this stuff? Perhaps Dr. Ford. Dolores is going to be who this show is about inside Westworld. There seems to be two sides to the story. There's the people inside Westworld, and then there's the people outside Westworld. Dolores, I think, is going to be our main character inside Westworld. It's revealed that she's the oldest host still running in the park. The original. The Yeah, they call her the original. Let's see, they've got her at this point programmed to like to paint, and she lives with her dad and, and, uh, and the mom, but the mom barely even has a speaking role uh, in this. They are ranchers. She seems to have this very, well, not seems to, she has a very Groundhog Day existence. They show her- Oh, over, they all do for sure. Over and over again. You know, laying on, on her bed, waking up in the morning, heading out, greeting her dad, heading out on the day. And then and then from that point, basically, depending on what the newcomers decide to do, their day kind of gets crazy. It always is, gets crazy. Nothing's ever cool. <laughs> isn't it interesting how thorough, I guess, the writing would be for the experience that whether or not a, a newcomer is there to see her get up out of bed. She's laying there perfectly, like Sleeping Beauty, exactly on the bed like with the, with her hair fanned out in this very princess kind of way, and her makeup looks right and everything. And she still gets up, talks to her dad about what he's going to do that day, and then he gives her a little hard time about what she's going to do that day. And no one is there to see this. Right, right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But they still go through it every morning. That's a lot of freaking effort for the- uh, A lot of programming. A lot, yeah. Well, but like you said, though, I guess you can't know if a guest would be around because I assume that these guests, though, this wasn't clear in this episode. No. We weren't laid down everything, but I assume my guests could stay overnight or could be at their home, could be somewhere. I know we see the train pull up, but we know that guests stay for multiple days. So well, I can tell you in the, like in the movie- the park at the end of the day. In the movie, they did stay overnight, and they could see the cleanup crews at the end of the day. Oh. Out their hotel window, they could see, if say, if there had been a big shootout that day or something. Yeah, someone has to come and like clean up the streets. Right. You could see it. Unlike Disney World, where they try to hide all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, you could see it. So, but they didn't show that to us except when there was an absolute emergency with the robot kind of gone crazy about three quarters of the way through the episode. Dolores is definitely going to be somebody who we feel is experiencing these reveries, getting some sort of sense of who she is as a robot in this world. At one point, family who has come to visit, the little boy tells her, you're one of them. You're a robot. You're not real. And she's like, totally like hurts her heart and makes her crazy there. Well, I don't think they know what they are until they are in well, why would they that wouldn't have been programmed into them that they're robots they're programmed to be as close to human as possible right i mean once they under start going undergoing their diagnostics then they respond like computers but yeah i don't think they know exactly what they're they definitely don't know that's what the whole problem is here is that some of them are starting to get a sense and i think that's how she is going to survive basically because at the end of this episode there's like kind of a tiny purge of of robots that have undergone this update that aren't acting right anymore. Right. But she gets through it. She is going to live to fight another day. <laughs> but she did manage to evolve that one tiny amount that says, I don't want flies crawling on me anymore. 
but just enough. Mm -hmm. And so she's going to be the viewer's guide through this evolution. Good that you use the word evolution because let's go back to talk about Dr. Ford. So he is the maker of all of these things. He's the maker of at least the robots. I don't know if he's the maker of the entire world or the entire concept of the theme park or if he just came up with the robots. But he is definitely father of this invention. You get the idea that he is the old man that if he didn't start the company, then there still wouldn't be a company without him because he made the breakthrough. And even though the powers that be, you get the sense that they'd probably prefer that he he take his golden parachute at this point. He still is hanging in there. He continues to be tolerated because they couldn't have done it without him. And that's why he gets to stay. But in reality, he should have shoved off by then. When they are talking about the programming, they're indicating that even though they can, the guys at Bernie's level, we'll talk about Bernie in a second, they can program their hearts out, but it still has to go through Ford. So he's like the managing editor, basically, before the, the update is pushed out. And he can still put in his changes at that point. So he would have to be the ultimate in programming chops, basically. And the way that they all revere his work, he couldn't be a hack for for them to hold him up the way that they do in this episode. All of them, even the ones that aren't programmers, still have that reverence for him. There is something a little bit about him, especially the little bit of like this mischievous type feeling that we're getting yeah. about the adding the reveries. I don't know that the original guy would have done that unless there's been some sort of you know epiphany that he's gone through where he's feeling different than he did about the original well i think invention we were only exposed to dr ford a little bit tiny bit he's talked about a lot but he's only shown a little bit to right. us and i think he's got an agenda i think he, he does too i think is we, it personal or is it like professional i'm gonna go i think we differ on this but i'm gonna go with professional i think that there's something that you can be excited about as a young man producing this genius work that as an older man would seem like an unfit legacy to have done something so amazing but at the end of the day there's still you know hall of presidents type animatronics and or at least feeling that way about them. Obviously, if they're running through their morning routine like Dolores and Tom there, there's they're very impressive by today's standards. But to him, they might be like insultingly inferior in that knowing that that if allowed to, he could do so much more. And you're right, we differ a little bit, but I agree with you that on the professional level, I wonder too if it like you're saying do so much more, but I felt I felt like maybe you were gonna take it a step further and say that like maybe his original moral compass here got a little twisted, whether it be from money or whether it be from fame or legacy or whatever like maybe he originally made if she's the original and she is like the sort of quintessential you know Disney princess country girl type thing and then here now he's like having to fix up the prostitutes in the saloon maybe he didn't ever intend to make prostitutes in the saloon you know mm. maybe the ideas maybe the professional side have all gotten a little like twisted right. a little bit to where well, what now, was exciting when he was younger is now just it's in like, and or what if it's like the guests like it's the same type of feeling the first time you come the wow of it is enough but the millionth time you visited you gotta like chop someone's balls off and shove them <laughs> down their throat or else or else you didn't have a good time because it wasn't exotic enough it wasn't insane enough it wasn't twisted enough. we go nuts when we go to disney world <laughs> 
Yeah, you watch out, cast members. Shit's going <laughs> down. Um, but yeah, and then on the personal level, I'm going to go back to all the same things that we've seen lots of times, which is where you have this older man who maybe never married, never had kids of his own, and his invention is his baby. And he, for whatever reason, has this need to continuously nurture it, but it can get really weird. His baby isn't growing and changing and maturing, and they're not, it's not, it's this stagnant situation as it would be with a robot. It's not fulfilling. The reason I, I didn't want to go that way is just I've seen that. I mean, I've seen what I'm talking about in other stories, but I've seen I that on, on Star Trek. And when I see <laughs> a plot point from Star Trek, not that I don't love Star Trek, it's just associated in my mind with just easygoing, no thinking kind that's of... That's not as deep. Right. Well, but that's why I think it could be a mix of both this professional. I definitely think there is some hinky management, freaky, bigger agenda going on here that's way 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 bigger surely but I do think that on a personal level there could be something you know why he bothers to stay at night and continuously is tweaking and tweaking and tweaking you know well the, like why was he in cold storage with that old cowboy I feel like it's because that's what you would do if you had the, the kid a little bit I felt like he acted exactly how you would act if you went to go visit a grave site because he he just wanted to like hear his voice again. He just wanted to see him. He just wanted to see that like the old drinking buddy, like one of his originals. And he and even he's like, he's like, put yourself away. And he went and he didn't just go stand in cold storage. He literally zipped himself up into a body bag like he was dead. Right. And so I felt like there was this a little bit of like I said, like that kind of mourning for some of the some of the the, the creatures that that he made. Well, and this time. is this is the kind of behavior, though, that if a younger oh, programmer did it, they would have serious doubts about him. But if you're the old man who started this whole thing, you're given a little latitude there. And why you're often given that latitude, I'm going to submit, is because there's something about like getting older and having that sort of reverie, if you will, of where you're having all these this this inner stuff he's he was daydreaming with the drinking buddy he was that was his like muse as as is dolores he was sitting there like having these moments in his own mind maybe about what made him initially make these guys or, or what have you you know uh -huh. and they kind of alluded to that and we're going to move on to bernie now because bernie at one point in time inexplicably honestly is like looking longingly at a picture of a young boy I don't know if that means that that little boy had passed away like it was his son and something had happened because Dr. Ford and him then have an entire conversation about what if you could bring back somebody who had passed mm. away. And once once you've defeated disease and once now you can live forever and what if then you could bring back someone who had died, then you're officially at the end of the evolutionary track. Like we can keep everyone here and keep everyone alive and now we can bring people back who have already gone then you're, you're officially, there's nothing else more to do. And so I felt like that hmm. Bernie looking at that little picture of that little boy was sort of like, hmm, maybe that's Bernie's ultimate, why he's sticking around. Very possible. So what do you think about Bernie? I liked him very well. Bernie, I recognized from the Hunger Games most recently. He's in voiceover quite a bit. And he, in this episode, he has a very Morgan Freeman sort of voice, a very pleasant, smooth, deep voice. That's just very easy to listen to, you know. But He's his, not the one speaking to Dolores, though, right? It's actually the Helmsworth. Yeah, yeah, right. But there is, kiddo? I mean, he, there's both. 
both okay. guys. There's something very interesting about his personality, you know, where he's sort of middle management, it's, it seems like. He can talk to the guy in charge and the people in charge come and talk to him. He has to do a lot of the grunt work himself also. He's still fixing broken robots. I think because, too, he feels like he has this artist-type quality about him, this creative side, whereas the other people all seem extremely pragmatic, very you know, nuts and bolts, rip it off, put it back together, blah, 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 turn them on, turn them off, that's it. There's many times that we got to see him really enjoying the the creation, you know, with the saloon girl, watching her do the thing with her finger on her face. He was completely enraptured with this, like, watch it, she's going to do it again. That That's the same type of like joy, you know, that you still are getting when you have this really passionate part to you. That's what I think he matches up with Dr. Ford. I think Dr. Ford's, again, may have gotten dark and a little weird and kind of messed up, maybe through a lot of, for a lot of different reasons. But I think Bernie still can talk to him because he kind of seems like his mentor, mentee kind of relationship there, apprentice. Yeah kind of feeling and you could definitely see even the way that they dressed Bernie he looked like a tinkerer he wore a tie but it was a little and it was undone like pulled and it's actually like kind of a little bit I can't describe to you except for the tinker <laughs> that idea where they where they he wears like a vest which is really akin to almost wearing like an apron like you see like Geppetto type interesting wearing. yeah and so he has this kind of appearance that is like a shopkeep kind of cobbler blacksmith kind of look to him about his collar and, and his whole outfit compared to modern programmers he was very put together absolute and a little like charming even right a little like i want to say like a little debonair about the way that he dressed it was very unique i will wait to see if bernie's a human <laughs> hey i i'm hmm. gonna say it's out there because when you look at it look at how harsh like miss cullen or sizemore or anybody and how every day they seemed versus bernie who had like an old world feel to him there was something more about him even how he noticed miss cullen's affectations in her face and the her, little her eyebrow arching just everything the little the muscles contracting and stuff like there was a part to him there that typical human would not ask those questions because it would seem um, inappropriate but if you are either, you know, just someone who dealt with artificial intelligence all the time, you could just sort of skip all that and be like, hey, can I just like do that? But also maybe if you were a robot yourself, you know, is there a possibility that he can do these things and is so good at it because someone created him to do these things? Mm, I'm, I'm going to stick with human for a little burn. But yeah, he, out of the whole management crew there, I'm sure he's designed to be this way. He sticks but, out like a sore thumb, friend. But he is the one I identify with the most and he just like Dolores inside Westworld I bet he is going to be our eyes and ears for the control group or that makes sense because he seemed like he had the most relatable for, for me I was drawn to him as the person who I would want to be friends with if you had to pick anybody in that entire place to go like out to lunch with or to pick his brain for an hour I, I wouldn't want to hang out with Dr. Ford, but I would want to hang out with Bernie. Yeah. You know, he seemed like somebody who would be like great to talk to and be, would be willing to show you around the whole place and all that good stuff. Bernie did have some helpers and some, some co-workers there that he was dealing with. So we had Elsie, who was a very small bit character, but 
boy, would did she have some strange moments in this episode. I bet it's not okay to kiss the robots. I bet it's even awkward, like demerit kind of thing <laughs> in your file. Like, once again, making out with the robots. But, like, I mean, if all of the offices have glass walls like that. And I, all the robots are naked. All, so, right. like, we're going to get real weird now. Ah, uh, Elsie. And then another time she popped up was, like, when she was, like, comforting Dolores, actually, in Westworld, where she was, like, dressed kind of back in that period right right so that she could kind of come in on the scene again like she had a real funny vibe to her so i don't know if elsie's just gonna be this completely little bit player or if she's gonna actually kind of hold the key to some information here (laughs) yeah maybe maybe she's one of your robot plants you know she why would she kiss i don't know but do you think i don't just don't know it's like maybe she's locked in there all the time working on these robots and she's trying to get confused about who should make out with who well later sizemore indicates basically that that this isn't a a job that you commute to this is a job that you are there for months and then you get to go back home what do you think about sizemore what was your oh i hated him him instantly okay what made you hate him? well everyone else We'd been introduced to Bernie, and Bernie is is running his tests. He's doing his best. He's trying to figure out about the new reveries. Is the update working? He's keeping things at a very professional, office-y kind of level in terms of volume and stuff. And then I know that, that the sheriff had a problem. You know, his programming went crazy. And he needed to be brought in, and 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 some park guests saw this happen, and that would be an event, you know. Yeah, because it definitely scared the guests. And from what we understand, they pay a lot, a lot of money. Do you know from the movie? Did they ever indicate how much people? Well, it was paid? this. Uh, I'm not gonna get it right, but I do remember. I mean, this was the '70s, making a distant future, you know, show. So they might have said millions. Good lord! So I mean, it would now it would be like billions. Well. I don't know about all that, but I bet it would be A-list, elite level expensive. I mean, that train was not packed. No, that's very true. Good call. Good call. There was like only like three other people besides old Teddy. So and right, and some of them were Teddies. You know, very true. Living out their cyclical life. So Sizemore, he definitely seems like somebody who is got his own agenda, completely separate from whatever management's got in line for him right he's like the you remember in game of thrones who Littlefinger is sure he's the little finger okay <laughs> he reminds me of little finger he also i read this book a couple years ago by a guy named neil stevenson it's called reamdy it's like a misspelling of the word read me but it's intentionally misspelled a large part of this book is this online game that one of the main characters owns and this is very esoteric, but there's a lot of the book that explains kind of the upkeep and creation of this game. It's not to the level of Westworld where you actually live there because this is modern, you know, it's contemporary. So you use your computer to interact with it with an avatar. But the idea of needing to have professional trained fiction writers to come up with the backstory for everything so that if someone starts scraping away at the surface things still make sense the role that sizemore plays particularly the face that he makes when the guest screws up the way that the shootout is supposed to turn out Mm -hmm. let me know that he wrote that himself 
how that was supposed to go. Yeah, and he, he said took he wrote it, like a wonderful speech for him to give. And he took it very personally. And it reminded me of those writers in that book because they took themselves very seriously. You know, like one even like lived on his own island or something. And, you know, <laughs> it was like very like cut from the same cloth, basically. Well, for sure. I agree with you on the little finger part very much in that he seems like the type of person and Cullen described this so eloquently. You know enough to know there's a bigger plan but you have no idea what the bigger plan is. You're just informed enough or just around enough, just slick enough to get a little bit, but you're just not with it enough. You're not on the inner circle and you don't really know what's going on. Prima Donna. Prima Donna. That's the word. Beautiful. That is, yeah. So we just get a little taste of Sizemore. Well, and, and just the way that he uses a lot of expletives. Mm-hmm. in his in his tirade he does and he's one of the few people i was watching the our kids were upstairs at the time and i was watching this and i had to grab the clicker and turn down the sound anytime he came on because most of the rest of the time there wasn't actually that much swearing but when he, you're right when he came on the scene it was f-bomb central so i had to be careful it seemed to be for effect because later on when he was talking to cullen he managed to keep himself under wraps okay well, and and that's it's a little ironic too because he's a, he's supposed to be a writer and so you'd think he would have a little more grasp on language and, and the choices he could be making for words but he's like almost for like a loss of words you know most of the time when he's on those tirades so mm-hmm. crazy so let's go to cullen then though so she seems to be the person who is in charge of operations things, well right? i was gonna say like she's just the boss i mean not just like fixing or pr- troubleshooter i mean like i think everyone reported to her at, except in for some that way. she said something to bernie she said when they're working everything's fine they're yours when they do something wrong they're mine they oh mine but it was like almost like she was waiting like with her hands like ringing like oh there's a problem over there i want to be informed the second there's a little bit of a something like she wanted to get a hold of different ones for different reasons i assume that could just be a management style thing also (laughs) where she's hands off until things break and then she's all over it we met an entire cast of characters in westworld most importantly i would say right at the very start we met teddy teddy he's adorable now first of all do you think old teddy is he gonna die every episode like 10 times is this gonna be like south park a little i think so because instantly i recognize him as cyclops from the x-men movies hilarious There's a plot point that I want to bring up a little bit later, but when Dolores and Teddy are out on the range checking out the herd and she teases him that she, that he only dresses like a cowboy, it speaks a lot. We don't know exactly what his little backstory is, why he's just coming in on the train and why she's kind of been waiting for him. But you get the sense like maybe he's a little more city-fied or or something than the rest of the group there in Westworld. He's just not as good with his gun or with his fighting or well, whatever so, okay, else. Okay, then did you originally think, and I know you have like a lot more background on this than I do, but I originally thought that he was a newcomer, that he was a guest. Because, I did too. I, okay. having seen the movie... Yes. The way the movie starts is there's two guys going to Westworld and they're talking back and forth the same way that the two men on the train are. Basically, one asking another, so you've been there before and how did you play it? And the other one responding, well, you know, I was a good guy one time, bad guy the next time. And James Brolin and the other guy, I can't remember his name, they have something like that conversation on the way into Westworld in the movie. Okay. However, they are the focus of that scene. So in this scene, when we hear the same kind of conversation, but the focus is on Teddy, they played a trick on me 
for having seen the movie because I just assumed he was in on it. Nice. Well, and I completely thought without having seen the movie, I felt bait and switched as well because and and it played out for a while. Because he saw the prettiest girl in town and was like, I want to follow that girl. Everything. Uh, Even the way that they had him get off with the other people saying, you know, how much it cost and all that stuff. It was like, okay, you're with them, obviously. Right. You're with that group Mm -hmm. and then walking forward and the sheriff is like hey you there you know like talking to him and he's like the way that he's looking at the sheriff like oh wow like it's talking to me right yeah and like he seems like really like wowed by everything and you're right and he and he follows dolores right away and then even up until that part when she's saying like i forget that you're just dressed like a cowboy it just seems like he had come back to visit Many, many, many times. And that was his whole thing. Was well, just- and he gets shot and he bleeds red blood. That also was like, uh, you are real. It's only when it's only when the Groundhog Day resets everything and then he's back on the train that I'm like, ah, he's a robot. We hadn't seen other people get shot when Teddy got shot. He was he was the first one that I saw blood. So, I mean, I assume the robots are going to bleed blood something like blood because otherwise that's not very satisfying for the guest who shot them to be like shooting them at like the you know yeah but when you i mean from i mean at this stage first scene of the show and everybody bleeds red blood that that, that you're expecting to be real yeah i mean I, I couldn't tell human from robot that way in that part where we're learning about teddy there and he does get shot the scenario there with the the man in black the ed harris alert man Every time I, in my notes, every single time he came on this on the screen, I wrote Ed Harris alert, Ed Harris alert. It, I just See? I called him MIB for Man in Black. Ah, uh, you know what? But that name, even though if it did come, did it come from the original Westworld? Well, there the Yule Brenner robot mm-hmm. also wore black, and but the thing is, he was definitely a robot. And he malfunctioned and started sh- shooting people for real. Well, see, I'm not sure about old Ed Harris yet. Okay. Because so the scene you were talking about where Teddy got shot and you saw him have blood. And so then you thought, okay, Teddy is definitely a human being because he just got shot. But here's the thing. When he goes to try to shoot Ed Harris and he can't, like the bullets just keep like deflecting off of him. I couldn't, that was like very Terminator-esque to me, like you can't kill him, right? But then this is all twisted around. So no, it would be the human who can't get shot. Surely they have some way that the humans, like the bullets that come out are deflected somehow. So then that makes Ed Harris the human and that makes Teddy the robot in that scenario. In in robot literature the isaac asimov first law the uh, robots can't hurt people law that lots of other fiction borrows from i'm not sure where to put where did the you man why did you take it though like in that moment if you thought teddy was a real guy why did you take it that he couldn't shoot ed harris did you take it that ed harris was a robot then because yul brenner had been a robot so did you take it he was a robot and somehow he was like deflecting the shots and like just not kind of playing dead like you're supposed to play dead? I have an unfinished theory on Ed, on Hit it. Ed Harris. It. I do think that he is a robot that has gamed the system to the point where he's not going to get hurt anymore. And he, he clearly roams around and does whatever he wants. Yeah. And we do need to talk about that for Una Momento. Um, so if you guys are new to our podcast, I am definitely the scaredy cat 
crybaby about anything having to do with violence specifically against women and children. So I do my best to always keep a stiff upper lip when it comes to watching anything, kidnappings, rapes, whatnot. I do my very, very best. This one was pretty hard for me. This was really hard. And the scene came right at the very beginning. And I know that the scene has garnered a lot of conversation in the Twitter sphere and out in the media. So it's not like I'm alone in this at all. A lot of people, interestingly enough, have referred to it as a rape scene. But the the part that makes it a really mind F here is that they don't actually show that. In fact, she doesn't even like nothing that far actually happens. It's the anticipation of what you think is going to happen and how it's just you get you're just getting the the start of this and the fact that it was kind of clear to me that ed harris said you know i've been coming here 30 years uh it gave made me feel like he just had done this to her so many times and we kind of understood that you know she kind of groundhog dated out but what kind of messed up individual this was yeah i'm not sure where we're going with this because he seems to have his own little agenda Mm -hmm. i mean he he scalped that guy and found a map inside his brain or inside the top of his head that he was going to use oh you thought it was a map it looked like a map because he was on his horse and he was looking at it and it seemed to be like a map to me oh wig i thought it was like a almost like a processor type plan or a schematic or something you know how like if you pull back on something that is like a robot kind of thing like that and you can see the individual like chips that are kind of like all in there like a but circuit board yeah but it's yeah how it was kind of sewn into the wig yeah i kind of thought maybe he needed that for like his own self you know because I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he's a robot or human or what. Or if he was trying to like gain intelligence out of that. Like if he mm. was like a spy in Westworld, then he was taking technology back. No, with that, him. that that helped me think that he is this robot who's gone rogue, who is trying to figure out his world, and it's just taking him this long to do it. But given what he did in this episode, I don't ever want to lose track of that. You know, like I don't want him to become this anti-hero that occasionally saves the day for his own purposes. And then we start to think, well, this guy has just a misunderstood honor about him or something like that, because that would kind of, I don't know, that would, it would kind of ruin the show for me a little bit. Okay. You know, you he, he's a be, bad guy. The way that they shot again, I have to, I want to go back to that scene because I, from what I understand, the violence that we may see on this show may get pretty extreme. For instance, apparently with the extras, there was a there was like a contract that they had to sign that said like they may have to do some like really extreme things. Like there may be things that they have to do nude that I guess goes like above and beyond what a normal nude scene would include. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> nice. Paul just made this like wah face at me. It said genital on genital um, touching, which I guess, you know, most of the time this is all simulated. So you're not really doing that. That's included- the only kind of extra work I sign up for. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then it also said things like having to be on all fours with other people who are like also naked. 
I know, I know. I'm telling you, there was a lot of weird stuff in this contract. Like the Screen Actors Guild actually like had some pushback on this and was like, what are you guys making over there? Like this is weird that you're making like the extras sign this kind of stuff. I'm anticipating that there is going to get to be some pretty gross stuff. Now Game of Thrones certainly has set the bar awfully high or low, however you want to look at it, <laughs> for some really disgusting things and really awful, twisted, torturous situations. So I don't know what to expect well i think i think what you might point to or what i will point to is not the scene where he drags dolores away by her hair into the barn to do whatever he does to her that scene okay he's a bad man oh man but the scene the next morning where he says i'm sorry i'm not going to be able to stop by kill your family and rape you again tonight but i've got plans that is the part that really lets you know. That bothered you more, huh? Yeah, that means he is a calculated evil guy to me. Well, see, an intrigue, because there were also other parts of that scene that really got to me. Obviously, Evan Rachel Wood's screaming was like horrible. I had to turn it down completely. I could not even listen to it. Um, And then really the way they shot it, where it was Teddy laying down on the ground. You didn't see Ed Harris turn into the barn. You saw the reflection of it in his eyeball. That was like somehow like so much more heartbreaking. And so I was taking it from a far more emotional place and how Ed Harris even explained it. Like, why would they pair you guys up? Why would they make this be like I had to come here and kill the man who is supposed to protect her in order for me to go drag her off to the barn? Like, why did you guys even do that? And then he explained, because it's only fun if there's a loser in the situation. Like, I didn't just rape and pillage unless I actually stole something from you. Like there has to be a loser in the situation. Mm, yeah. So like that was so freaky. And in addition to that, like the whole thing about those other two, um, I don't know their names, but the other two milk bandits there. Yeah. Who like he's like, he's like, why'd you kill the mom? I didn't even get to like have sex with her yet. And he's like, oh the body's still warm. I'm sure no one's gonna judge you. Go ahead. What the what? What what? So I'm sorry, are the Milk Bandits guests who are here to do this? Because I thought we figure out later that the one guy no, was a robot. Yeah, and he ends up being one of the ones that they have to put into, into cold storage. But he's constantly seeking the milk business. Yes. I'm saying that that's like liquid white resin something. Like, I think he's fixing himself. You think that's like robot, or maybe it's robot, you know, heroin. <laughs> It could be robot heroin, or maybe it's like some sort of like one of those expanding foam kind of crap that you put like in holes when things are broken, you know? Like maybe if he's drinking it from the inside, it's like somehow fixing holes and crap that's going on inside from all of his injuries. I don't know. But why would the robot want to come hump another robot? Why would he care if it was dead or warm? What the what the what well, is that's happening? that's just, you know, the narrative. The oh, robots. You are constantly Bernie even admitted me. that that one was designed to be a murderer. Although his current murder streak was, you know, an aberration and just that it was so gross, but he was designed to do that. So was he was he a robot who was helping the other guy who actually killed the dad? Like who said, do you have anything other than milk? And like shot him. Was that guy a newcomer guy? Like, was he a guest or was he also a robot? Because if he was also a robot, no, because Teddy shot that guy. So Teddy that means shot he's both a guys. Robot. Okay, so then help me out here. So then all those robots were molesting and killing one another for the benefit of no one. Yes, because there was no guest. Because Sizemore wrote it. 
Okay, but so then Ed Harris, though, I guess, was the reason. In theory, it, it, he would have to be the guest that they would be doing all that for, unless if you're right, then that was all robot on robot crime. Yeah, yeah. And wow. and so guests or newcomers can come and interrupt anything, and then new behaviors within their existing patterns will compensate, basically, is kind of what they described. But yeah, I get your point that someone thought, you know what should happen down at the Abernathy like farm? Like they should go all the way out to the country. Night. They yeah, should, <laughs> they should have a rape and murder scene that happens out there for the benefit, again, of no guest. Like no one was a part of that whole mix-up. I guess if Ed Harris isn't there, then well, they, Teddy we know just they kills the, the two bandits and saves Dolores. That's how that night would end for those two. I guess that's right. Okay, so then it's just a romance. Yeah, huh. yeah. And, so weird. Right. Okay, so then we do have some other characters that were side characters somewhat. But I do think that they're going to come back into more play. We have our saloon girls. You might recognize Thandie Newton. She's been around. She was in the second Mission Impossible. She was the darker skinned British accented whore. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Very (laughs) thoughtful wording there. Yes. And uh, she knew how she was the calm and collected one. From what I understand, there was a character like this in the movie who was like the woman in the saloon who who sort of like helped you map your trip. A little Julie, the cruise director, if you will. Can't say I remember. And she kind of was doing that. If you like looked looked at the various times when we saw her. Like when there was like an Asian guys group. Yeah. Who it looked sh- like a bachelor party or something. Right. That she was kind of like starting their fun out. But it seemed like maybe because the saloon was one of the first things that you hit when you were like come into town. It seemed like the kind of place where maybe you come in and like you maybe ask the bartender, hey, where do I go? What do I do? Or she would be the person who might tell you like, okay, hey, how are you doing? You want a girl? Do you want to go here? Do you want to go on an adventure? What do you want to do? I'll hook you up with the right people to go do that. She definitely seemed like, like you said, cool, calm, collected, very Dolly Parton a la Whereas Chicken Ranch. the other girl that they were studying the, the reverie, mm-hmm. she seemed like a much more simple model or at least simple, simpler programming because every man that came in, she said, you don't have much of a rind on you. It didn't matter if it was Teddy or someone else. She had the same line that, that yeah. she used on them. Agree. And she didn't try to read what anyone was doing or anything in any form or fashion. She just was like, do you want to go have sex? Because I'll give you a good deal. You want to go have sex? I'll give you a good deal. Like, it was like, ooh, like, <laughs> you're something else, chicky. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, I guess it wasn't broke. <laughs> we got to meet briefly Hector Escaton, Escatone maybe. He was the bandit leader. He even seemed kind of hurt that they had put up wanted signs for him. Didn't he? Like when he saw it, he was kind of like, you guys. Well, that's a, that's an Old West trope, basically being insulted by the low reward offered for oh, is you. That, is that what it was? It was because, oh, I thought they, he just thought they were being dicks for calling him out and like sending guests up there to go track him down. Like That's insult. my guess. Like that... what if he was just like the Lorax and he just likes to hang out in the mountains alone and you guys put up signs out here like I'm a bad guy and send guests up here after me all the time, bugging me, taking my stuff. Nah, that's Dick how me. I got it. That makes sense. All right. So he's actually offended about the lack of rewards. And then back in the Westworld control area, we missed one guy. He looks like the head of security, who's played by the small Hemsworth brother. His name is Stubbs. Oh. He accompanies Bernie down into cold storage because they don't know what to expect down I there. Know so you they totally hated him from the word go, right? 
because well, of his move in the elevator that you thought yes. was total dick. When the, when he takes Bernie down into cold storage and the door opens and it floods in with about six inches of water and Bernie is there in his dapper, business shoes and business suit. outfit. And then Stubbs explains, yeah, the, the generator is broken. So that must have caused the whatever the cold to but it's thaw. been that way for a long time. It's been though. that way for weeks. So instantly I knew he knew that Bernie was going to ruin his shoes by coming down and he could have told him, hey, all the rest change of the it to men, some boots. All the rest of the men, including Stubbs himself, were wearing rubber boots. Poor Bernie was totally caught off guard. Again, I'm not the computer robot expert. This marriage is formed on lies. <laughs> Sorry. I should never have told you on the first date that I was that robot computer expert. But here's the things I do know. You don't like me to have a drink around the computer. I bet you wouldn't like it if I put the expensive robots down in the leaky, wet basement. I bet you'd be like, get them out of the basement and quit pouring water on them. Seems like it would rot whatever their skin's made out of at, at least. At the freaking minimum, right? But like, I mean, again, if I came in here and started blowing like moisture all around the, the components here, you'd be like up my butt in a second. Like, what are you trying to pull? Get totally the, up your butt. Get the mist machine out of here. Right. Not misting area. <laughs> Well, so that was like really strange, right? Why mm -hmm. would they do that? Why why would they bother keeping them if they were going to kind of keep them in this deteriorated area? If there was a thought later that either Westworld was close to closing or losing money or maybe had fallen out of favor with management or something like that, then that would make more sense. But stand alone, you're right. It doesn't make any sense as a plot point. Because really everything else, like up above, where the glass pristine. rooms are, right, everything is spit and polish. Right. And I get that they're going out to pasture and stuff, but I understand if they're keeping them around, period, that there must be something to be gained, whether it's like spare parts or whatever. It's like the junkyard, but you still wouldn't want to ruin them. No. Strange. But Stubbs, total jerk. Right. He seemed like... Biff or Flash mm. or someone like that, you very know, and Biff, just very. You got something on your shirt and then flippy in the nose kind of move. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then he was also the one who is the original first voice that we hear with Dolores mm -hmm. when the show begins, and he's like, "Oh, you do you know, ever question your reality?" Mm -hmm. And those questions that if you answer them wrong, they send you to cold storage. So, do you think the fact that she got called in? And she answered the questions and then she goes back. You were saying you thought that that was an evolutionary moment that we witnessed with her slapping the fly. And I would even say, do you think it's possible that she let the fly crawl around on her face in front of Stubbs, but she was exactly who she was when she was there as she was when she goes back out. She slaps the fly. Yes. But she was just playing her part with Stubbs. Like she's actually so far evolved that she knows how to play super dumb with Stubbs. I'm going to go with no, but I could be convinced the other way, obviously. I'm going to do some convincing. So, any big plot points you want to pick out of the of the story? I have one. Yeah, um, here. Well, do you feel like we, we, we hit all the major characters, right? We hit all the major characters. Yeah. All right. 
There's lots of stuff that we could mention about what we're calling the Groundhog Day aspect of the show, where the robots are basically reset every day and they live the same day over and over again. But and they actually call it the loop, like start the loop over again, just like the player piano literally starts on the same note again when Teddy starts coming on the on the train. The first plot point that I highlighted here that I thought was super interesting was the moment when Teddy and Dolores are out on the range checking out the herd and he's asking her about how do you get the herd to go where you want and she says she says see that one that's the judas steer you get that one to go and the rest will follow i'm pretty much thinking dolores is the judas steer of a future robot revolt intrigue and i would even say that I have a question mark about whether old Ed Harris is a potential Judas steer. If there's more than one, he could be one for whatever he's up to. He's mm. leading people off track. Don't know what. Maybe he's going to start gathering humans. He seems more self-serving to me, whereas Dolores. Oh, I don't know. His thing's too complex. Like you honestly think he's just going back to his own house with his own shit. And he's like, haha, I figured out a little more all by himself. I think he's trying to ends. figure out how to get out of Westworld. That's that's what I think. He said he's been coming back there for 30 years. Well, I mean, like from another world, you if, still if think If you he's were a, robot? a rapist and oh. you could rape somebody that could never remember being raped, that yeah, you might you might dip sound, from the same well a few times. Does sound amazing when you put it like that to me. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm just I, I just throwing it out uh-huh, there. I can't say uh-huh. how a rapist would actually feel. Sure. All right, so that was my first plot point. Do you have a plot point you'd like to discuss? I thought that the scene where, what did we call him, Escatone? Yes, yes. When he came to the saloon and he had his bandito group there and they were shooting all the hosts and and trying to collect all the bodies up because they needed to do the diagnostics. One of his pals decides that he's going to grab the more simple whore and drag her with. Yes. And he gets his face blown off. He gets his face. And that was a pretty awesome face (laughs) blowing off. That was really awesome. But the idea of one robot protecting another one like that sent all kinds of red flags up for me. That the mama whore protected the baby whore there was like, I don't think she was programmed to do that. I think that this would have played out that for the guests to watch this, that they would have allowed the band of thieves to take her with. And that was just part of the show. So Mm. the idea, like think of like a stage show and think of of all the cast members. It doesn't make a lot of sense for them to have allowed the mom who are there to kill one of the thieves and save the girl. That doesn't make any sense to the to that robot plot. And what so you they, think she's evolving on her own a little bit? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that there's something about her that is sticking out as like that's human. That was human. That was compassion. That was having that girl's back. That was all those things that we didn't see happen in any of the other scenarios. And so I was like, oh whoa! Another little, just tiny little plot point that stuck out. Let's wait before we go there. I think the correct terminology you're, you're looking for is bottom bitch. Oh, my goodness. What now? I believe that is the woman that a pimp turns to to kind of organize the other whores. But you can keep going with mama whore if you like. Wow. I think I'm going to stick with mama whore, but 
I guess if you want to start calling her bottom bitch, that is that is going to be a not Thanksgiving grandma word that we're going to keep <laughs> just here. <laughs> so anyway. I, I want to keep you updated on all the lingo. Man, yeah, you are learned. I really appreciate that you're keeping up on the whore <laughs> terminology. It's very important to me to be accurate. I do not want to be inappropriate amongst the whores. No. Okay, so then the, the second little thing that was like of interest to me was when Dolores's father finds the photograph. Okay. Very important. Very important. It really seemed like it had been planted there for him to find because it was right there by the fence. And he doesn't just like notice it. He kind of kicks to, something out of the way. He dig at it with moves his Moves stuff around a little, bends over to grab it. So do you think he hides it there for himself to find? Or do you think that's a hiding spot where Ed Harris or somebody hides stuff there and this isn't the single piece of the puzzle that he's been given? He's been given little nuggets here and there. That's and maybe that's why he's suddenly like... Like, this is the final piece that cracks him. That makes some sense, because if you were Ed Harris, whether you were man or machine, but had been roaming around Westworld unsupervised, trying to either break it or figure it out or something, this for 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. Then later in the episode, they, they tell us that Tom Abernathy, I think his name is, mm, the dad. has been there a long time and he's played a lot of different roles. Yes. And he had been the sheriff at one point and he played a professor at one point. If you were trying to break the system, you might turn to older models. Mm -hmm. Their programming might be more susceptible because they've just got older technology. He would also be the, the person who he's been chipping away at for 30 years. Like he's been leaving little nuggets. Maybe when he was the professor, maybe that's why they changed him over to the sheriff because somehow he wasn't acting quite right as the professor anymore. And then he couldn't really be the sheriff anymore. Think about it. His role is now just sitting on a back porch. Like he doesn't do anything really, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they kind of like dumbed his role down quite a bit the whole time. And so it's like- And he goes crazy fast. Real fast. In a way that that's- Overnight fast. But in a way that that's like the final piece. You know, like, mm -hmm. it's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, like, who knows what he's been finding gum wrappers and, you know, whatever, uh, like the, um, the world series book kind of thing, you know, that, that they find in back to the future, like th those types of stuff. Gray's the, sports almanac. There you go. That types of stuff where, where like you'd be getting these nuggets of information from the outside that you're not supposed to be getting. And it's, it's frying your brain. Literally. It's like, well, I hope they, I hope they do explain why he would go crazy so fast. Part of the plot of this episode is that there's been this update that's been put out and there seems to be a lot of suspicion about updates in general. You know, from Sizemore's perspective, they just kind of screw things up by making the, the robots more human. Bernie's having to fix and locate robots that have been negatively impacted by the update. We do know that Tom received the update because he was gathered up with the group that they gathered up the night of the, the shootout. Mm -hmm. So is it possible that, that that was a seed that then with other stimuli right. just made it that much easier to push you over the edge? Or yeah. is it possible that some other outside force has been working on Tom or other robots like Tom and we just happened to witness the straw that broke the camel's back. So I think it's that. So I think it's that it's like, think about it like this. So he's been around for a long time, right? And so if he had been given these little nuggets, but each night he was wiped clean, but we know there was like a residue, right? 
And so more and more and more and more and more, the update happens. The update allows you to access the residue. Mm-hmm. Well, then that's the day when it all made the puzzle. Right. That's the, like, big, it was that's like, the big idea. Like it all came clear. If you're not understanding what the whole problem with the update is, is what Caroline just said. It's that ordinarily up until this point when Groundhog Day happens, you're a full reset. You were just fully reset. All your memories gone. Rasa, right. Blank slate. But now they're saying that the robots can access, maybe not 100% clearly like a person, but more like Caroline's saying, the residue of those memories are just kind of compiling into adding some more emotional weight to the way that they act now. So that they can be like a little more organic. Yes. Which makes sense unless... Someone from the outside had put memories along the way, like Ed Harris here, that suddenly when combined 30 years of residue that had these little hinky tweaks in place, now, oh my Lord. But again, the way that Dolores responded to that was like, I don't see anything. I don't see anything. Like she didn't even say like, I'm not sure what it was. It was a woman and it was like a photograph. Like she acknowledges nothing. She continues to tell Stubbs, I didn't see anything. It was, it was nothing. I saw nothing. I didn't see anything. That doesn't make even any sense as an answer, even as a robot. That doesn't make sense. I mean, the man had something in his hand. Right. So you, you saying that is like your programmed version of the like, hear no evil, see no evil, do no evil kind of response. Well, there's some, response. some theories that I've heard, I don't know, elsewhere Ooh, let's hear that it. not related to the show, more like related to just the human experience and that if you happen to witness something that is too far outside of your understanding that your brain may actually just block it and the example given was perhaps the first caribbean island natives to have seen columbus's ships approach would have never seen anything like that and for the first few days of that their minds might not have been able to accept it in terms of just like blocking it out. Okay. I don't know if I buy into that theory, but I'm just saying that's one that I've heard. Because I think that Dolores is a wolf in sheep's clothing here. I think that she knows and sees and understands. Even her comment to Teddy, you dress like a cowboy, but you're really not. She knows. She knows. You know? And so there's like parts to her that I just think, I just think she knows. She knew how to she's answer a, stuff. She's a sleeper. She's a sleeper, baby. All right. Any other plot points that you wanted to bring up? Well, speaking of Dolores, another one that I thought was like particularly telling, I guess, was when dad gets sick, Dolores is going to run into town and get the doctor. And when she does this, she goes running to clearly a facade, a door that is painted as the doctor, but it doesn't open and it doesn't do anything. And the rest of the robots, specifically Mama Whore, is looking at her and like doing this like kind of face like, well, this is a scene. We all know that's not the doctor's door. We all know that's not a thing. That's like a set design. Well, what are you pulling here, girl? Like as if she knows Dolores knows, she has to act like her dad is sick in order for the bigger management to not say something's up with that one the Dolores one, Hmm. because if she acts like he's out of his mind, then it keeps her simple, plain, 
not making any guesses, Dolores. If you watch, watch Mama Horse Face, and she's looking at her like, girl, you're just playing this out here. Because it's like, you know that the doctor's not in there. There's like not a doctor in the cast. So it's like funny to witness those kind of moments. It makes me feel like that's what simple Dolores is supposed to do. She thinks this entire town is real. She's going to go knock on the quote unquote doctor's door. And then the rest of the robots are like, uh huh. Okay. Do you think the moment when she's out painting and she has her top off mm. and she's wearing Old West underwear? Uh-huh. And I pointed that out as being as like, you know, did <laughs> did they wear sleeveless tops in the Old West? And you were like, no, that's her underwear. So if she's onto it, but she's not showing by anybody that she's onto it. I wonder if that is just part of it. Just like, you know what? It's hot today. No one's looking. I'm taking off this. Maybe, because you're right. She absolutely wouldn't feel temperature. Like, that wouldn't be a thing. And so, like, being hot, like, no, she should be able to stand out there and paint without a problem. Unless she was feeling hot. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that prairie garb business they have them in is, is like, starched. Right. Whatever. And so, you're right. The idea of her taking off any garment for comfort which is what it appeared to be. And mm-hmm. she never expected to see anyone else. Like she was like, where in the world did y'all birds come from? Like when that family comes up over the hill, you know. Right. That would, that should have been an out of the way spot. Well, and like you said, if it was for comfort, she should be doing nothing for comfort. Nothing. Interesting. I like it. I like it. Like where are you going with that? All right. So I think I already mentioned the the anachronistic music. I thought that that was really interesting. I love the music throughout Max Richter's scores that that we heard at least in the previews or the things coming soon or whatever. Man, I love from he's from the leftovers for us. I'm sure he's done many other things, but for us, that's where I know him. And I love his music. It is so emotionally impactful. I love it. There were so many other things. I love the traveling song that we were calling it the traveling song. Dun, 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 dun. And that's when the train is like yeah. coming. And I love it. Yeah. Totally love it. And like what I saw in Paul is like, I love that the way when the player piano plays it, it's like kind of clunky. I love how that sounds. And I'm not that person. Like the tuning be, is, is just, it's, it's a it, little off. It's a little off or the keys hit not exactly where you might think, or there's, or there's funny grace notes in there that make it sound like the piano player's finger kind of jerked over to the right note after hitting the wrong note, you know, yeah. just... Like, there's these little, like, I was calling it clunky, but then that would give you that idea, like, clunky also makes me think of, like, robots. Like, the idea of, like, what's the difference between, like, what the way a human moves and a robot moves? Well, robots look clunky, and, and humans are graceful, right? They have this fluidity that you are trying to get when you have a robot, right? You have this fluidity, but like you can only get so far. And that is part of the thing that I feel like really just grabbed it up. Like the, the, the player piano might, it's supposed to sound like the fluidity of a human playing, but you can't quite get there. And so you get these like sharps and flats and kind of clunkiness that still still you mostly get it but you can tell it's not a human playing loved it well one way or another we hit all my notes i love that look at us we're doing so good so i am super excited about future episodes i saw quite a bit on the preview that i was trying to kind of close my eyes to because it seemed like we are launching real quick into stories that I kind of am not ready to even think about. I had to watch this episode three times, you guys. 
the concepts for me are really outside my wheelhouse. I mostly enjoy the relationship side of a lot of these shows that Paul and I do podcasts for. And so because there was a lot of it that still revolved around these ideas of really science fiction world to me, some of it didn't come very naturally when I was watching well, it. There's nothing relationship-wise to speak of, really, because the Teddy Dolores thing is, is artificial. Mm -hmm. They could be programmed to not like each other tomorrow, and that would be a fact. Everybody in the control area, they could take or leave each other. They could. Uh, except except for the one that kisses robots, she <laughs> she seems like that's that's a that's robot something kisser. she has to deal with that every day. <laughs> <laughs> that's her own truth, Paul. Yes. Um, she is a robot lover. But um, to be honest, like this show, um, our son turned it on for me when he was heading out of the room, and we have tile flooring and um and kind of a high ceiling in the living room, and he to be a little sassy to me, turned it at the highest level possible on the volume box just to just to let me know that he wasn't ready to give over the TV to mom at that time. And so when that stuff started, when the music started and everything, our entire house was like thumping. Like It was kind of wild. So the enormity of the show and how many ideas are floating around, I heard another person comment that they felt like their TV screen wasn't big enough to like get it all and, and mm. not visually either. That's not what he meant. Like it was sort of this concept of like all the ideas that were mashed into this pilot were so many that I had to watch it so many times and I still don't feel like I grasped it all. Like I, I really still felt like no, it definitely seemed all the music, like a, all like the visual. I just, I couldn't even take it all in. Every way it seemed like just chapter one. To get ready for the podcast, we looked at IMDb to get a sense of what the names were in case we missed them. And so we also saw that there were some characters that, you know, the, the count. Spoiler. It counts their episode number, basically. And there's going to be more introduced next week. And so I got the sense this was just laying groundwork. I mean, showing us a couple of rules of the universe, but there's a chance we may not even know who another one of the main heroes is yet. I have no idea. This was literally just chapter one. And I like the idea, just in you saying that, how in the movie, how the two main characters were the ones coming off the train right away at the start. And you, so you knew that was set up. And you already know that Teddy isn't that in that way right then. At least not. It was it felt like a bait and switch kind of moment where you're like, hey, wait a minute. He's a robot. He's a host. Already, I'm starting to feel like maybe we haven't met them yet. And maybe it is Teddy. I have no idea. But I do get the idea that like they're purposely maybe not showing us who it is in the first episode, just like they didn't show it in the first scene. Well, you want to know what the twist is in the movie? I don't know. Do I? Can we like put... It's because the movie doesn't count. The movie was just the concept. It, it's it, There's nothing narrative that's going to be taken from the movie. Okay, well then we're going to put a big spoiler tag right here. So if you do not want to hear the twist in the movie, please fast forward a couple, couple 15 seconds for us. The twist is when Yule Brenner goes nuts, of the two men... There's James Brolin and the man I can't remember. Why? Because James Brolin is a star. The other man, I can't remember. Right. Okay? He kills James Brolin. The movie does not end with James Brolin. He's dead. Wow. So it's the other guy that has to fight him off. That's like, when I watched it, I was like, what? <laughs> what? You, killed the, you killed the actor whose name is on the box, you know? <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. So then already, like we said... 
we just don't know. We just no. do not know. No. And I definitely feel like like our our wanted um, man in the in the hills and Ed Harris and Teddy. I mean, he is he's a he's well enough known actor, and he is sort of the 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 cute factor really of all these guys. He's really the only one who kind of has the attractiveness factor of any <laughs> of any of them. Honestly, any of the leading men, he is the leading man kind of feel. But I'm with you on like the cool on like that a twist could be that like yeah uh-huh and you thought he was maybe not so much right so i think that that's really cool so if you did skip over that spoiler part we're done talking about the movie so you can rejoin sorry for having to discuss that little portion so we're really looking forward to hearing more from you guys our listeners and if- feedback on this new format yes where we didn't actually go blow by blow of the episode now i'm not promising that i'm not gonna have to go blow by blow on some of these episodes because this one though was so jam-packed that there was no way for us to just talk to you scene by scene there was too much going on and we just really needed to get into the characters but as we move forward i might need to do a little bit more of that just for keeping it linear in the story she's telling you and me <laughs> but i enjoy talking about just the characters when paul writes reviews um which he writes for three if by space then you can absolutely read how he tends to do his reviews character by character rather than episode by episode so he will explain to you how that character progressed in the story that week I think that that's amazing and it's a great way to do it and I think it is a great way to do it when you're writing it and we'll see if this works out for us when we're just talking about it if we're able to keep everybody straight and where everybody what everyone's doing we might have to install a giant dry erase board on our wall and try (laughs) to keep track of where everyone is and where we left them off last so thank you guys so very much for listening we hope you enjoy it catch up with us on our website dailyreview.com on our twitter daily review on facebook look for daily review that's d-a-l-e-y review thanks thanks for listening pot people thanks for listening to my mom and dad you don't have to go home but you can't stay here just go home folks